we've got our kids' church. Any of our kids? Go ahead and follow Miss Stacy out. I was thinking of this word cooperate. And people, you know, in our culture, in our world, they could see this word and say, oh, that's a great idea. Can't we all just get along with each other? Let's just cooperate. Can't we get all the nations of the world and to cooperate? Can't we get the Democrats and the Republicans to just cooperate with each other? Can't we get like the Browns and the Steelers just to cooperate with each other? Um, just we, we want to, you know, how can we cooperate and get along with each other? And, and Brian was praying, and he mentioned that, you know, that, that Freedom Bible Church, we actually get a chance to cooperate with this ministry, Sun Life, and, and most of you know this, some of you don't, that, that I work with Sun Life, that I'm the Director of Leader Development and Coaching for Sun Life. That's my primary employment and job, um, you know, 30, 40 hours a week with, with Sun Life. And, and Freedom Bible Church allows me to cooperate with this ministry by pastoring here part-time, you know, 20 hours a week. Uh, and really it's a neat cooperation because with Sun Life, I train and I coach and I mentor pastors and youth pastors and ministry leaders across North America to be disciple makers like Jesus, to build disciple making ministries like Jesus. And that's what our church is all about. And our church, Freedom, is we're trying to build a model ministry that other churches across the country are asking for and looking for, and it's been real effective, a great cooperation. One of the things that, that I do with Sun Life is that I cooperate with some other ministries. So just about uh, three or four weeks ago, I was in Pittsburgh with a ministry called Urban Impact, and they cooperate with us, and I train their inner-city urban missionaries how to make disciples like Jesus. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was in Montana with Montana Bible College, and I do some training with their alumni and, and ministry leaders, and we have a great cooperation together. Uh, next summer, the Center for Indian Ministries in Bemidji, Minnesota, I'm going to be speaking at their conference, cooperating with Native American leaders to make disciples uh, like Jesus. And then this week, I, I do, I thank Freedom that um, I'll be in Tanzania, just below the equator, uh, leaving tomorrow, getting back on the 31st with my friend Michael Titus. He is the, he is the, the, continent, or the, the country director for Tanzania with J-Life. So Sun Life and J-Life were counterparts North America and Africa. And so we get to cooperate together. God wants us to cooperate with him, work in conjunction with him on two different levels. There's on a macro level, God is at work saving the world and making disciples of the saved in the world. And we cooperate with him in that macro work. But there's also then this micro work that God's about, and that is working in each one of our lives. God's at work in each life in this room, and we're called to, we're asked to cooperate with him on that micro level. And on that micro level, we're cooperating with him to be purified, to be sanctified, to live like Jesus lived, to be transformed to the image of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is this whole idea of cooperating with God. And we're going to go back in time about 3,400, 3,500 years to about 1450 B.C. And 34, 3,500 years ago, God's children, his chosen people, the Israelites, were slaves in Egypt. 
They had been enslaved there roughly 400 years, and now God was going to set them free. He took them out of Egypt, where they were located in Goshen, and then they traveled across the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea, and then they traveled, and it took them about 44 days, and they arrived at Mount Sinai. Here's a picture of Mount Sinai. Now imagine them. Took them 44 days to get there. Then they stayed there and encamped there for 11 months. There's about a million people encamped there 11 months. And it was during this time that Moses went up on Mount Sinai, and he was there for 40 days. And on that mountain, God gave him. Does anybody know what God gave him? God gave him some instructions. We call them something. Ten Commandments. Gave the Moses the Ten Commandments. And from Exodus 20 until Leviticus 27 in the Bible, all those verses, Moses is up there for those 40 days. And those all God's giving Moses instructions, not just the Ten Commandments, but how to make the tabernacle, how to make the Ark of the Covenant, um, what uh, priestly ornaments should look like. He was giving them instructions of how to live as his people about sacrifices, about festivals, about tabernacle laws, all in those verses. And right in the middle of those, in Leviticus 20, we're going to see how God, for the first time, institutes on this micro level the work that He's going to be doing in us and how we can cooperate with Him in that work that He's doing in us. So let's dig in and look at Leviticus 20. Um, The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai during those 40 days, saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel. You're like, who are the strangers that sojourn in Israel? Remember that map when they were in Egypt? And when they left, God had done mighty miracles and miraculous signs. And so some Egyptians tagged along with them, and they left Egypt along with the Israelites. So they were foreigners and strangers who sojourned and traveled with them. Any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourned in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech. And you might be thinking, well, who's Molech? Is that a daycare center? Is that a new charter school in the rain? The school who gives their children to Molech, we'll find out in a second, they shall surely be put to death The people of the land shall stone him with stones. So this is serious business here. Giving your child to Molech, you should be put to death. God says, I myself will set my face against that man or woman and cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. So it's a form of uncleanliness. It profanes God to give your child to Molech. Verse 4. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man, so if you just ignore it or let it go, when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I'm going to set my face against that man, against his clan, and I'll cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him, in whoring after Molech. Pretty strong language. Furthermore, not just Molech, verse 6, if a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, I'm going to set my face against that people, and I'll cut him off 
from among his people. This now is God's micro work that he's doing. Verse 7, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord, and this is my work, who sanctifies you. Now, before we look at God's work and our work and how to cooperate with God in this work on a micro level, let's just ask a couple questions that maybe you, you thought about from this passage. First of all, what's the deal with necromancy? God said that turning to a medium or a necromancer was whoring. Well, what's a medium? What's a necromancer? Simple. Um, they're a fortune teller. You ever go to the county fair and there's a little booth there, a fortune teller's booth? Or sometimes in cities and urban centers there's a strip mall and there's a little fortune teller's booth? Uh, they're people who consult spirits, consult the spirits of the dead. And you might say, well, why is this bad? Well, what people would do is they're, they're turning to witchcraft, turning to divination. They're seeking power and knowledge from spirits rather than power and knowledge from the Lord God Almighty. Who is all-powerful? It's the Lord God. Who is all-knowing? It's the Lord God. God's people do not look to any other source for power or knowledge other than God. God's people do trust in God's sovereignty. Trusting God's wisdom, that he knows what's best, he will do what's best, when it's best, for us, for his people. We don't trust in governments or political parties for our peace and comfort. We don't trust in our bank accounts or job security for our peace and comfort. We trust in God. God wanted his people to look to him and to him alone to trust in Him and Him alone, not in any other nonsense or any other earthly power or earthly spiritual power like a necromancer or medium. Trust in Him alone. There's a second question you might want to ask. Uh, what's the deal with Molech or Molech? Four separate times in verses 2, 3, 4, and 5, God warned against whoring after and giving children to Molech. Well, who is this Molech? Well, he was the detestable god of the Amorites. The Amorites were east of the Jordan River. And when uh, the Israelites, and if you, this week, if you notice in your program, our disciple pathway reading is from Joshua 1 through 6. You'll read in Joshua 1 through 6 that God's people were encamped on the east side of the Jordan River. And that was in the land of the Amorites. And then they would travel across the Jordan River and take over Jericho. They're in the land of the Amorites there. He says the Amorites considered him to be like a protecting father. He had the face of a bull, and they wanted the strength of a bull. And what they did was they sacrificed their children to him. They would kill their infant children, their newborns, their young children. They would kill them and then burn them, set their bodies on fire in sacrifice to Molech, asking him to protect their people from their enemies. And in, 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 in exchange for that protection, they would kill and burn their, their children. Merrill Unger, who authored Unger's Bible Dictionary, said that no form of ancient Semitic idolatry was more abhorrent than Molech. 
worship. That's why God warned against this evil, this wickedness. And unfortunately, only about 400 years after God gave these instructions, Solomon, King Solomon, consulted a medium, a necromancer, in disobedience to God. And then just about 50 years after that, uh, King Saul was the one who consulted the medium. King Solomon was the one who allowed his wives to begin worshiping Molech and brought that worship into Israel. And for the next 400 years until 620 B.C., when King Josiah destroyed their temple and killed all their priests, they had this, this, this evil and this wickedness amongst God's children. And we bring this up, we look at this because it's God's word, but also to say that this is terrible. This is almost inconscionable, unthinkable, killing children and sacrificing children. And we could say, you know, we certainly wouldn't do that today, but we live in a world where, you know, and we're a church that supports the sanctity of life. We are a church that is unashamedly pro-life. Life is made in the image of God, and we value that. But in our culture, in our world, it's accepted. It's sometimes even championed. And we might say, well, not in the church, right? I wonder sometimes if I've been guilty of uh, not Molech worship, but maybe sacrifice in my children. Maybe there's times when instead of, instead of spending time with my kids like I should, maybe I've been too busy working, too many hours working, when some of those hours could have been and should have been given to my kids. Or if I have a hobby like hunting or fishing, or maybe you've got a hobby like boating or bowling or, or music or other different things, and if some of that time that I devoted to my, that hobby, maybe I was worshiping that instead of spending that time investing in my, my kids. Or if you're like me and you like to watch sports on TV, and how many hours do I spend instead in front of a screen? Or people like to do, do games or things or, or social media. How many of those hours am I really sacrificing investing in my kids? You've got to ask that, that question. As, as a dad who, who loves sports and wants my kids to do well in, in the sports that they're good at, or if you're a parent and your child's good in, in martial arts or in, in music or in dance or, or um, other different gifts that God's given them, I think we've got to be careful that I don't sacrifice my kids on these gifts where, okay, we're going to pursue these gifts. And, and I had opportunities like we could be gone every Sunday doing a basketball tournament or a baseball tournament, and am I sacrificing my child uh, on that, that, that altar? So we've got to be careful that we don't um, have um, a different Molech in our life a detestable God that I'm, that I'm whoring after instead of pursuing uh, our Lord God. Well, let's get to the main point. Um, and really, verses 7 and 8 uh, tell us, and I like this little phrase, the divine cooperative partnership. I call it divine because it was instituted and initiated by God. Uh, he himself said, this is what I'm at work doing. On a macro level in your life, this is what I'm doing. And it's cooperative. I'm inviting you and even calling you to join me in this work that I'm doing in, in your life. It's a partnership. We've got to do it together. And it starts in verse 7 where he says, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for 
I'm the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. In other words, obey me. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So we see here God's work. He's at work sanctifying me. My work is to consecrate myself. And I studied these words, these Hebrew words, and you're not going to believe this. The word sanctify is the same exact word. It's the same word as consecrate. But only God can sanctify me. He's the only one with the power to sanctify me. My job is to consecrate myself. God cannot consecrate himself. This word consecrate and sanctify, it means to be holy. God is holy. He cannot make him he cannot consecrate himself. Um, I need to, with his power, work at cooperating with him. As he's working to sanctify me, I work to consecrate myself. And that's what that word means. Consecrate and sanctify mean, and he defines it there right in that verse. To be holy. Be made holy. So we're going to take a little bit closer look at both of those things. First of all, God's job is to save and to sanctify. Before God begins the work sanctifying us, first of all, he saves us. Uh, Josh Wall preached about this last week, the gospel, the good news. I do not have any ability to save myself. We are hopelessly lost in sin, but for the grace of God, the blood of Christ that offers forgiveness for our sin. We're made new. We're made holy in his sight because of Jesus. Do you know where that all started? That started in John 6:44, when Jesus said, No one comes to me. No one responds to the gospel. No one receives eternal life. No one asks for forgiveness unless the Father who sent me draws him. God was at work saving you, drawing you to Christ, adopting you. And then Jesus said, I will raise him up on the last day. I will save him. You'll have eternity as a home in heaven. I want to show you a picture. I took this this last summer. Anybody have any idea the name of the town that this is taken in? My kids know. It's Wattsburg, Pennsylvania. 412 people have lived there, I think, for the last 40 years. The population hasn't changed in that little town. That building there, it's vacant now. It's an abandoned building. Back in the late 70s, there was a little Baptist church that my uncle started there. And they had a little Bible club after school every day. I would walk about four blocks from school. I lived right by the elementary school to that church when I was nine years old in the winter of 1977. I asked Jesus, forgive my sins and give me eternal life. God drew me to Jesus. And it was in that building where that all took place when I was nine years old. When our oldest child, Mackenzie, was four and a half years old, God drew her to Christ, and she responded, gave her faith, put her faith in Christ. When our second oldest, Drew, was four and a half years old, God used Mackenzie and was drawing Drew, and Drew put his faith in Christ. And then when Josh was four and a half years old, God used Drew to help, and Josh responded to Christ. God's work that he's doing is saving us, but that's just the starting line. He saves us. Then he also, once we put our faith in Christ, he sanctifies us. He told us there in Leviticus 20, verse 8, 
I'm the Lord who sanctifies you. So when I put my faith in Christ, I'm not crossing the finish line at that moment. I'm starting the race at that moment. Because then for the rest of my life, the rest of your life, God's at work on a micro level sanctifying you, transforming you, making you holy. That's the work that God's doing in your life. You ever hear this verse about work? Romans 8, 28 and 29. Uh, Paul said that we know that in all things God works. God is always at works. What's he working for? He's working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Who's that? That's you and me. He's at work in our lives. Well, what's the work that he's trying to do? All the things that happen to us, they're for our good. Well, what's that, th- what's that supposed to result in? Verse 29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. So everything that is going on in my life, God is at work in those things, conforming me to the likeness of his Son. In other words, he's at work sanctifying us, making us holy. He's at work in your life, helping you to be holy. Josh talked last week about the gospel. The moment that I ask Jesus to forgive my sins, Jesus just cleanses me, takes all my sin upon himself. Remember, on the cross, all my sin was put upon him. All his righteousness then was transferred to me. The Holy Spirit took up residency inside of me. The Holy Spirit in me makes me holy. So in God's eyes, he sees me as righteous, as holy, as completely justified but then the work begins even though I'm positionally holy in front of God I now become practically holy in the way that I live my life and God's at work making me practically holy he's sanctifying me to make me practically holy he's asking me to join him in that work of making me practically holy 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May God himself, and I love this, because God himself is doing this work. There are angels that are God's messengers that are at work in this world that we can't see it. But may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through our whole lives, every part of our lives. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. In other words, be holy, be righteous at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God is going for holiness in our spirit. That's my thoughts, my priorities. Holiness in my soul. That's my attitudes and my motives. Holiness in my body. That's my conduct. And when I think about my body and being made holy, I think about like from head to toe. uh, My mind, my thoughts, having holy, sanctified thoughts, thinking about what is right and good, and not having my mind wander onto wickedness and sin and evil. And as I go down, I get to my ears, to, to listening to, on the radio or on TV or, or the voices around me, listening to what is pure, what is holy, uh, avoiding listening to the things that are impure and unholy, like Molech and mediums and necromancers. And then getting to my eyes, what am I looking at? on the things that I read, the things that I watch and expose my, myself to through, through computer, through TV, through magazines and books and, and blogs. And then coming down to my mouth next, what are the things that I say? Are they holy, sanctified words? 
Am I putting people down or building people up? Am I using coarse joking or sanctified holy speaking? Uh, Then coming down to my hearts, what's my attitude? What are the things that I endear myself to? What are the things that I love? Are they holy, righteous things? Moving on to my hands and my conduct, the things that I do, how I treat people. Uh, Then to my feet, where do I go? Where do I go in life? All these areas, God himself is at work sanctifying us. And that brings us to our job. We're called to join him. And our job is to consecrate ourselves. And how do we do it? It's through obedience. Verse 7, back in Leviticus 20, said, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. In other words, obey them. That's how we live holy. That's how we consecrate ourselves. It's by obedience. With our minds, with our ears, with our eyes, with our mouth, with our heart, with our hands, with our feet. It's obedience. Now I want to do a little, we can raise our hands for this question here. Is there anybody in the room who has gotten to the place where you completely obey God perfectly all the time? Come on, Soy. You've been around a long time, dude. Almost there. You know, the last 43 years of my life, after I began that race and God began sanctifying me, I can say that I still sin. My kids will say, Amen. Preach it, Dad. That's the truth. (laughs) But I can also say that I sin less now than I used to. I'm not sinless by any means, but I do sin less now than I used to. And Um, A year from now, I should be sinning less than I do now. And then a year after that, five years, I should be sinning less. That's what consecration is. That's what sanctification is. It's progressively, sometimes it's slowly, but it's running that marathon of getting better and better, becoming more and more conformed to the image of Jesus. It's with my, my, my mind, my ears, my eyes, my mouth, my heart, my hands, my feet. It's obeying God more. I still look to Him. I still need power for Him, not necromancers, not from mediums, not from Molech, but I still need Him and I look to Him for the help and the power to do it. But it's this progression of obeying more and more. And we can only do it with His help. Practically, how do we do that then? If I'm going to obey His statutes, I've got to know His statutes. It's only through the power of His Word. That's why every week in our disciple pathway, there's passages to read. There's a pass, a verse to memorize because God's Word is living and active. It's powerful. We need His power from His Word to transform us. So His Word, number one. Second thing, how do I, how do I consecrate myself? It's, you know when you do make a sin? There's this beautiful word. It's called repent. Repent quickly. There's another R word besides repent. It's the word return. Repent quickly. Return to that sin slowly. Be quick to repent. Be slow to return. Quick to repent. Slow to return. That's how we become transformed. That's how we consecrate ourselves. Uh, I've been coaching basketball for almost three decades. 
I've been coaching baseball for almost two decades. Uh, early on as a coach, I was really hard on my players. I still push them now as a coach. But every single mistake that they would make, I would point that out to them and demand that they not repeat those mistakes. The older I've gotten, the better I've gotten, I think. I, I use this word, fix it. When you make a mistake, don't let it get you down, but fix it. Fix it. Repent quickly. Return slowly to that sin. So the word, repentance. We also need power from the Holy Spirit. Not power from mediums or necromancers. But remember, the Holy Spirit's in me, and the Holy Spirit has power. And asking the Spirit, give me power. Every day when I wake up, Holy Spirit, help me have power to say no to sin. Help me have power to listen to your voice to do what you want me to do. Besides power from the, from, from the Spirit, help from other people. I've been blessed to have some great mentors in my life that I could learn from, and they've helped me to be consecrated. Maybe you need a mentor in your life. One of the things that we value at Freedom is disciple groups. We've got a young adult disciple group, our, our youth group's disciple group. We've got a, a ladies' disciple group. And I'm planning, when I get back from Tanzania in November, to start a men's disciple group where we can meet every other week. And having that, that mentor in our life, that can help us to consecrate. Um, not only starting to have that person in your life for accountability, but maybe getting rid of some people that, that are, are, are taking you away from being consecrated. Maybe there's some bad influences. The things that they say, the things that they do, they're influencing you in a bad way. One final idea is how about changing some habits? I, when I coach sports, it's all about habits. All about shooting the same way all the time. Swinging the same way all the time. Developing those habits. Maybe i got to change my TV habits. My reading habits. My uh, discretionary time and hobby habits. The good news is we can consecrate ourselves. It's possible. It's slow. It takes time. But God's already doing that. He's already working in that trajectory. He's working there and asking us to join him, to cooperate with him. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers, you were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Listen, we are set free from sin. When the Israelites left Egypt, they left that slavery. Why would we want to return? We want to live in freedom. And we live in freedom by living in obedience and consecrating ourselves. Romans 12 says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies not to your sinful desires, but as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, consecrated. This is your spiritual act of worship. And in the NASB version translation, it says this is your reasonable service. It's reasonable to live my life giving it back to God in holiness, becoming mature, becoming sanctified. Why? 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. It's reasonable that he died for me I live for Him. And I live for Him by cooperating with Him in this work of consecrating myself as He's sanctifying me. One final verse I want to look at. Uh, if we go ahead in time 40 years from Leviticus chapter 20, 40 years later, Joshua is leading God's people. They're about to cross the Jordan River from the land of the Amorites to take on Jericho. 
And Joshua told the people in verse 3, chapter 3, verse 5, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. That's a good verse. In fact, that's our memory verse this week. They would not have seen God do amazing things, like tear down the walls of Jericho, simply by marching around it. They would not have seen that, God do that amazing thing, if they had not consecrated themselves. And if we cooperate with God on this micro level, we will see God do amazing things on a macro level. Well, how do I do it? Jesus showed us how, just about eight or nine hours before he was nailed to the cross. In John 17, Jesus is praying, and he addressed two things. In his prayer, he asked God to, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is is truth. To be sanctified by God, to consecrate myself, I've got to be a student of the Word. I've got to invest time in God's Word. Get into the Word. Let the Word get into me. And then two verses later, in John seventeen nineteen, Jesus prayed. He's held the Father for their sake. Get this. I consecrate myself. Jesus consecrated himself. He lived holy. Why did he do that? That they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus set us an example of being consecrated. And Jesus was their mentor. He was their rabbi. We all need those mentors and rabbis to help that are involved in consecrating us. He also consecrated, he said they'll be consecrated and sanctified by your word. We need to be in God's word. Think about your life as we close here. Think about your life. Uh, chapter 1 was when you were born, and whatever the last chapter is, that's the day that you're li- you, you die. Your, your life is a story. Your life is a book. And each page, it gets turned. Sometimes there's ups, sometimes there's downs, sometimes there's difficulties. Remember, God's at work in all those things. But in all those pages, the story should get better. We should become more consecrated, more sanctified, as that story, and then as we get to the end, we want to have everybody be able to tell who was the author of that story, who really wrote those pages. We want God to be the one that's writing that story. And as he's trying to write this story, am I cooperating with him, letting him be the author, letting him guide the, the strokes of the pen? Do the pages and the chapters include him, what he's doing in my life? Or is my story all about me? Um, I'm going to just listen to a, a song as we close to consider that. Am I cooperating with God as he writes this, this story?
And not just my children, but my life on the altar of Molech, doing what I want to do instead of letting God do that micro work in me and cooperating with Him. And that's the beauty of that word repentance. Yesterday was day zero, today's day one. Today can be the new chapter that God's writing, and we know what He's about sanctifying us. That's the micro work that He's doing in our lives. And if we will join Him and cooperate and consecrate ourselves, the work that He's doing on a micro level, We'll see him do things, amazing things, on the macro level, using us as an individual and as a church to make disciples like Jesus. Um, what's our assignment this week? Uh, how about memorizing that Joshua 3.5? Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things about, uh, among you. Reading Joshua 1-6 through 6 this week, and pray, asking God to show you, where is he working? Is there an area in your life, the 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 mind, the ears, the eyes, the mouth, the heart, the hands, the feet. Is he, where is he at work sanctifying you? And then join him. And ask God to show you an area in your life where you need to consecrate. And then begin doing that. That's our work today. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we, uh, we want to be people. We, we do, Lord. Make, this, make us want to be people, if we don't already, who want that great story, Father, where you're writing the pages. And even though... Um, some of, the, some of our stories involve tragedy. They involve comedy. Um, we want them to be epic, Lord. Epic adventures of you at work in our lives. Consecrating us, sanctifying us when we consecrate ourselves. I pray, God, that we would be people who cooperate with you, each one of us on that micro level. And God, as a church, on that macro level, we want you to use us to reach lost people and disciple us and disciple others. We truly want to see that. So give us encouragement this week. Give us hope this week. Uh, give us uh, the fortitude to be in your word. Let you work in us this week, Father. Lord, we had a lot of prayer needs for people with physical ailments and health issues. And, and we, we lift these up to you and lift all these things up to you, Lord, because you care. And we praise you and thank you through Jesus. Amen. We're, Rich is going to pray for me the meal in about 41 minutes. So you got the address there. We'll be over at the Tootie's home. Um, be here next week. I'll miss you all. But like I said, Denver Daniel will be here preaching for us next week. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.